Welcome to the episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this is the 150th episode, and um, I'm really honoured to have uh, an artist who's inspired me a lot over the years. Uh, is a Melbourne-based painter uh, named Russ Kitchen. How you going, Russ? Good, Tom. How are you? Thanks. Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Good man. Ah, no worries. No worries. I've been looking forward to this. It's, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of your work, and, um, you know, throughout all of your uh all of your career you know as your styles change from um, graffiti into fine art like I've been a fan of all of it and uh, yeah cheers looking forward to finding out more about it yeah well that's what we're here to do get bounce bounce ideas and stuff and have a conversation for the next hour yeah but I'm super inspired like coming to your studio today thanks heaps too like it goes well it definitely goes both ways I think more so bouncing back my way now like getting inspired by what you're doing you know Oh, thanks, mate. That's thanks. really cool. Yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, I've put a lot of time and effort mm. into into lots of elements of it, even just setting up my studio to have everything I need and yeah. a good space to work. Um, totally. Yeah. But it's, I really like having artists come over here. And I've, like, I haven't had many people come through all year because of uh, due to COVID and everything. And um, now that things have opened up a bit more here in Melbourne, it's good to have people come over and um, work on collaborations, do a podcast, have a beer. Yeah, you know. 100%. Yeah. I know, it's like more exciting. I suppose that's the nice side of COVID, isn't it? That it, you kind of value stuff post-COVID, you know? Yeah. Like it's a cool, exactly like walking up the stairs and just kind of like checking out your stuff and, you know? Mm. It's like world, hello world. Yeah, totally. So um, we'll start at the beginning, I guess. Yep. Like, do you want to tell me uh, where you're from and uh, how you're going to art? Um, yeah, I moved around a lot as a kid, but ended up, um, in Camberwell, but yeah, didn't, yeah, we kind of grew up, albeit briefly in Noble Park and then ended up in Hawthorne and Baldwin and then ended up in Camberwell. But I was always like kind of wired to make art, like without, when you're a kid, I don't know, unless your parents are probably, unless your parents are creative, you wouldn't consider yourself an artist, like in primary school. But I loved art from like a young age. Um, yeah, my folks separated when I was, Super young, I spent a lot of time with my nana. She was like a really pivotal kind of human being in my life. Um, and she'd set up, she'd kind of hold the space for me, you know, like to just chill and make work at her place. Like we'd, I'd knit and um, draw and paint from a young age. Like she collect, she even kept stuff, which I've got now. All of the earliest stuff I've got from when I was like four, like this elephant with like a tapestry kind of blanket on its back which she with her handwriting in a Russ, four years old. So um, through primary school, yeah, I, I paint, like I did watercolors and did some oils when I was like probably in grade five. So like traditional kind of mediums, you know, like I had those how to draw books and I don't know, I loved animals. So I'd like paint horses and other animals and um, yeah, loved like school projects. Cause I could just focus on the, the art. Like I'd spend 90% of the time on the art and 10% of the time on the written and that went into high school and then I kind of got into like street culture through skateboarding um, and I suppose yeah that yeah that changed my life like that kind of urban then it was like you know there were subcultures and like underground subcultures um, got really inspired by kind of that scene and then the artwork on the boards and Thrasher Mag and Transworld and like you know like Pusshead I used to copy his like skulls and stuff on my skatey with like yeah, liquid paper pens and fine liners and markers and 
than other artworks like I'd screen print and make clothes um, and then I was kind of yeah there was a I used to skate with this guy and his older brother was always doing outlines like and I was I thought that was so cool and at the same time I was catching the train to school past Auburn station and it was like a prime piece and just the fades kind of I just I always remember the fade of spray paint just kind of etched in my like soul I was like that is so cool I just hit a chord and I just I didn't straight away but I just wanted to try and paint graph you know yeah so then I got into graph kind of through that through this dude he'd like teach me how to sketch I painted my first piece with him which was at Ashy like on a train with like yeah task piece I think it was in like 86 or 87 and then didn't do heaps just kind of dabbled but I was like super interested in graph and then in 89 I started painting more um yeah and then from graph kind of slid into you know fine art inverted commas it's a funny term sometimes but yeah went to to art school and um yeah just took the influences i suppose from like graph like airbrush and aerosol and started kind of fusing it a bit you know with other like traditional media and then yeah that was i went to monash first i left monash i only finished first year went and worked for a few years but it always bugged me that i didn't finish my degree and then 2004 i got into public art at rmit and that was so cool like the staff was so kind of into what i was doing and into my history i didn't they didn't like kind of trip out on it at all and that made me feel good and then i um got into vca and then did yeah end up doing my painting degree there for three years and then that was i finished in 2007 starting 2005 and then the last 15 years like i've been dedicated you know i'm just it's, I, I think that's what i think about like it's like a decade and a half of just thinking about art so that brings us to now so yeah that's cool. the all right well um thanks for coming and i will uh, wrap it up there you've told no i'm just joking <laughs> good <laughs> funny man yeah it's nice seeing you see you later everyone that's it there's nothing more to add <laughs> thanks nan you brought us up to today <laughs> yeah. yeah we're done yeah done and dusted thanks everyone that's 150 yeah done episode 150 done see you next week no yeah. um just joking all right um so when, when i first saw your art it was on uh on the back of the corner hotel yeah like i remember going there I skipped school or whatever but um had a photography assignment and just went down there and took photos with a black and white camera. Film. <laughs> Which isn't film. Huh? Not the best. Black and white's pretty crap for taking photos of graph with because it's uh, the colours are so important. Totally. But, um, but I remember taking photos of the, the puzzle piece with the castle there. Yeah. And then, um, and I don't know, you, yeah, there was the Hugh Dunn that was up high and then yeah. you also had a piece there. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, I remember... Um, remember seeing your work and just going wow like who's Cheers. and um and ever since then i've sort of had an eye on your work but it was actually the, the first thing that caught my eye was your characters your graph style characters like yeah. the b-boy sort of style ones yeah like where did um where did they come from like how did they come about because i know i know it's like lots of writers do them but you had your own take on it as well well, I love Baudet, like that mm. kind of bubbly stylized you know mm. like Cheech wizard's feet like that he's bubbly kind of feet mm -hmm. so i think 100 percent like that was a huge influence um and then like skateboard characters like um not gonzalez i can't remember the other skater neil blender yeah who do those kind of wobbly characters mm -hmm. they i love those too so maybe 
from a little bit from skate, like a little bit from bow day, and then my and my yeah, I couldn't do like um, those green kind of like the classic, you know. So I just took those influences probably, and just but I still would do like goggles and you know, mm. like the wizard, like the first pit. No, yeah, the first piece I did like corner was like that kind of organic wizard. So it was a bit Baudet, but then with like b boy kind of goggles, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting when um, you know, you're in, influenced by things, but um, you know, if if you take your references from different places and make it your own. Yeah. It's, it's easier. Whereas if I was to do like a Mickey Mouse or a Bart Simpson, yeah, I know I'd stuff it up and people yeah. would be able to like clock it straight away and go, yeah, that that's that he's he's stuffed it up. Like the eyes are too low or the ears are too big or something. You know. Totally. Whereas when you do your own thing, it's like no, nah, you can you can't get it wrong because it's yours. Yeah, it's like it's like we're best at doing ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. Like we're qualified. You know, you're yeah. qualified to do Tom. Yeah. Totally. So you try and put your stamp on it, don't you? Totally. Yep. Still working that yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a, like, yeah, the blueprint, the art the art of making art, or the, isn't it? You yeah. know, like figuring that stuff behind the scenes, how you kind of do your thing. Totally. I think that's an interesting point because I think, yeah, I like this conversation, like kind of what, and it's a privilege, I suppose, like coming to people's studios, you know, who are doing their thing because you get to, it's nice. It's a nice thing about being an artist and then hanging out with other artists because you get to learn more than maybe the general public do. I suppose that's why your podcast is super cool too because you kind of unpack stuff mm. for people. Um, yeah, because I find um, when you go to someone's studio, you get to really see what they've been up to mm. and and what environment they've been yeah. been doing. It's like um, you know, because you can look on Instagram and stuff, but you you only you just see like the best of like the highlights yeah. real like yeah. I know that for me personally like I, I post very rarely on Instagram yeah. and it's it, to I know the outside person they might not think I'm painting that much but mm. I'm actually really prolific in here but very mm. uh, particular on what I choose to put out there yeah you know yeah it's a curated it's the A side isn't it mm. like your A side it's not like your B side yeah there's plenty of B sides yeah <laughs> but the B side is good for the people yeah you know yeah no. It's, it's not all champagne and like hors d'oeuvres at the opening. Yeah. You know? Like there's a lot of just work and. Yeah. The B sides are for me and my friends. Anyone yeah. who steps into my studio gets to see all that. And I don't yeah. mind, but it's. um, it's It doesn't go out to the world. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because there's nothing worse than someone grabbing a painting that you really don't, you're not that happy with. And then they're referencing that of something yeah. that they want, want to commission you to do in the future. It's like, yeah. well, I didn't actually enjoy doing that. So. Yeah. So why? <laughs> like that's not what I want to put out there totally I suppose it's not the privilege but it comes with the territory like you wear a lot of hats as a creative don't you oh, like yeah. you so you have to generate the work you have to physically be inspired to make the work then you've got to curate your own work and like direct your own kind of director like oh, okay. but then you've got to be like a marketer and um, yeah. a framer a yeah. uh, uh, art dealer yeah yeah you got to, yeah. there's so many things like I, I, I was out with um, some friends last night for dinner and one of them's an artist said he he said how the hell are you making a living as an artist mm. and i said well it's like i i'm only an artist part-time and sure. i've got all these other part-time sure. jobs which is like art dealer and marketing yeah. guy and online buddy coordinator yeah. and whatever titles you want to put on it yeah but um it, it is all part of being a uh, an artist, artist now. yeah and if yeah. You, you know as far as making a living off it like yeah. if, if you 
if all you want to do is paint and make sure that the money's there, yeah, it's uh, I guess have a, have a job, you know, yeah, and um, yeah, it's all part of it. Yeah, hats off to you. To be honest, oh, like thanks. it's very cool, you know. Yeah, but I know I, I'm really excited about it because um, when I first started on uh, like the full time artist journey, yeah, I didn't realize that I needed to learn all this stuff. Mm. But um, it's actually something I've learned. I, I fumbled my way through for a while mm. and um, got some lucky breaks. Yeah, but I spent a lot of like I remember my first year. I've got a folder with it each year of every of all the paintings so yeah. it's like archived year by year and the first year I was a full time artist was 2017 and I look in that folder and there's like 10, 10 paintings in there and I know, I'm, I know I did more than that I just didn't document them properly and all yeah. this sort of stuff but also I knew I spent the majority of the year sitting on a laptop like applying for art grants and looking for ways to make make money but the problem was uh, I wasn't paying enough so I didn't have things to the actually current, show the currency to present exactly yeah. but I also I didn't I, yeah. I didn't have anything to show so I couldn't get the jobs and yeah. I wasn't getting them and I yeah. spent a whole year doing that it's kind of like chicken sense. chicken chicken and the egg isn't it like yeah. how do you get the beast off the ground in those early days yeah you know? yeah you gotta work hard yeah you gotta paint 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 paint, 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 paint and manifest. work out all the other stuff yeah you know? Burn, people, a, burn a little bit of incense for the art gods. Yeah. Be, be kind. <laughs> splash a few nice colours around for them. Yeah. 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 Totally. So um, so getting back to what we were talking about with uh, like corner hotel and like yeah. that that era of your painting, like um, you know, you're in the graffiti scene and and all that. Like, what was it like in uh, in Melbourne and um and in the scene in those years? In the late late 80s, like early 90s. Mm. Yeah, I have I have like really good memories of that time. Like it was kind of bliss to be honest. Um, it was incredibly liberating. It was I met like a lot of people. I kind of dreamt of meeting. I did things that I kind of never thought that I would do. You know, like starting out as everyone starts out, and you you know good. You know, like it's an exponential curve. Like it's so in a few years when you start, you're doing stuff you're happy with, and you're hanging out with cool people it's just yeah it's so much fun like and at Melbourne very different like pre-internet pre-security cameras it was like a kind of sleepy hollow so you kind of had this parallel reality with your with your friends you're just kind of running around catching trains cruising around painting stuff and just looking at the world through like incredibly different lens like it's just it's kind of opportunity like walls you G'd up to just look at these kind of urban spaces and stuff and dreaming about um, painting them or helping your friends get these walls and you're on a mission I've been thinking about that lately um, and telling talking about that with a few friends it just feels good to be on a mission like whether it's fine art now and you've set yourself you know whether you're having a show next year like for you or you, you want to paint this kind of ambitious painting over a few months it just I like life like I like living like that where you just set this goal and you kind of just try and stay on point you know and and pursue it like life feels good totally um but yeah life was good in the in the 80s and early early 90s and i did had incredible opportunities um i kind of feel blessed you know like should i go into that yeah like yeah so i suppose in 89 like i had like a really fun winter kind of painting i lived in Camwell and it was in a crew called in full effect like after the mantronic song like 
hey, start this crew. And I had this like really cool clique of guys that I hung out with. And then had a short kind of train, you know, career, inverted commas, to the world out there. But compared to like new school now that put in like paint an incredible volume amount of graffiti, um, we were lucky. We got a lot of mileage for not doing that kind of volume because it was like, you know, early gen of Melbourne, not first gen, but like second gen or something. We got, we got good mileage. So I'm like grateful for that. So I got busted. And then the Kringle, who was like the chief um, transit, um, thought that I wasn't like, I wasn't kind of like anti-police. Like I didn't have a bent against authority. I just love painting graph and painting it not legally, you know, illegally, however you want to frame it. But I didn't, I wasn't interested in that kind of, I just wanted to paint. It just happened to be, you know, painting at night. I liked that, that act, the sport of that. Um, so he, when I got busted, he suggested that I go to these aerosol art committee meetings that were at, held at, by city of Melbourne at the Vic Markets in the buildings on the side of the Vic Market. Um, and then I met, yeah, like I met Murder there and Mace and dudes from Westside and then other people, Panic and... Um, and then got my first like legal um, job out of that. And that was a buzz, you know, getting paid to paint graph and getting heaps of cool paint, like tuxins and stuff. Um, and then Joe Morris was also like kind of co-managing those meetings. And he was like the CEO of a, CEO of a youth organization in Fitzroy called Victorian Association of Youth and Communities. Um, I, I did a report for him like maybe in 1990 or late 89 kind of traveling the train lines photographing like good legal sites and then writing a kind of document and then he proposed to the ministry of transport which was like um, peter spiker and the ptc was the public transport corporation when the system was run by the government back then that that um to do this project, like a, it was actually framed, like really interestingly, as an anti-graffiti strategy by painting more graffiti. So it's a great, another great kind of glitch, but it was like based on um, European, the European idea of if you have a social, like a, like kind of um, un undesirable social activity, you have to offer those people like a positive um, outcome or a positive experience such as like getting illegal graffiti artists to offering them legal walls so that was like the shtick um he got funding i got a job there as a youth mural coordinator um pete daverington like punch was like the um artist in residence and tony hicks also worked on the project so we there was this incredible kind of like year and a half time um, period of having great funding like like really generous funding incredible paint budget and then like organizing like you know a lot of melbourne's kind of biggest like legal projects at the time so um, i can't remember the beginning of that question but yeah that was the kind of blessing i was getting like i just i fell into that project and then had this like cool job you know mm. like just cruising around organizing huge graph murals and yeah beginnings of street art i suppose like some of the first pictorial walls in melbourne cool. like coming from yeah, like an aerosol kind of background. Mm. So, like, a, like most graffiti writers don't go on to be fine artists. Yeah. Like, uh, was was that a big turning point for you? Was that, um, like, what sort of got you started? Or were you still not even thinking about art as a career then? I wasn't thinking about it, but it kind of sowed 
the the seed on the periphery you know mm. like hanging out with um pete like he was so talented he got into vca when he was like 17 and he was like you know painting some extraordinary stuff you know, like an alexandra parade the intimidating nature mural um and he was like fully like yeah he was like a full-blown fine artist like at 17 years old like he had he's painting beautiful oil paintings he was bouncing you know between kind of graph and street art and then like traditional like he had like a like all these sketchbooks with like incredible gouaches so that and i ended up traveling with him like a few years later like living in guatemala um so yeah that's definitely so to seed but i still didn't consider myself an artist per se you know mm. but it so to seed for like a few years later when i went back to art, when i went got into art school so yeah. yeah i wasn't thinking of myself as like a and did that fire you up to go into art school was it sort of because I know for me personally, when it like there's been points in my life where it's like, all right, choose a career. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, what do I want to do? Um, and that's why I went down the design path because I wanted to learn how to use computers but be creative at the same time. Yeah. Like, was that were you just looking at you were already doing art and you wanted to you enjoyed it so you wanted to continue that and build a career for yourself? I still didn't think career the first time around. Mm. Like the first time around, I was like really into roller hockey for three years and training all the time and coaching and my brother was playing so I was like more of like a I was more into sport to be honest mm. but I just you know was painting as well so that was the first like 98 I got into Monash like fine art but I wasn't taking it so seriously mm. until until I left I only finished first year and then worked for a few years but then I was like kind of bugged I was thinking you know I really I just I want to go back and finish my degree, you know. And then I started when I got into VCA. Then I was like, I was really into it, and the environment was like really inspiring. It's like boot camp, I suppose, for for making art. Like heaps of people, just cool energy, everyone doing their thing. Like it's super inspiring, you know. And what what do you feel you really learnt from art school? I ask this question to everyone that's yeah. been to art school because I, I to me it's this mythical world that has all these answers <laughs> it definitely doesn't have that but it's like but it's not it's with the with the formality aside it's like hanging out with peers you know and your yeah. peers teach you so much so you kind of gravitate to people you connect with and that taught me a lot you know like going to friends places and one guy just had this insane collection of kind of like I don't know graph hip hop street art like going way back my friend he was from Perth and it was like just going to this incredible library and he just he had it all connected in his head and you know I used to love going to his place so stuff like that and then you're just seeing all this exposed to all this you know fascinating like music and art that you haven't seen so the exposure is like something you learn um the just the environment is um inspiring you know it's like going to play sport with other good athletes that lifts your game you know so you hang out with people who are serious you just automatically start taking stuff more seriously um the faith like from some of the staff they kind of that's like the kind of intangible of like cool these people have like art careers and they teach at the school and just they're like they'd start you you talk about stuff that you kind of wouldn't talk about with other people but it wasn't like strange to them and then that just normalized like thinking like an artist like I'm like okay so I've just 
the rest of the world's weird, but art is not weird. You know, before you think the rest of the world's kind of normal when you're growing up and art's a bit abnormal. Mm. So it just shifted it for me. Like, okay, art's normal. Art's the new normal. And so that was huge. Like, you know, the head of VCA, like Janine Eaton, a few other, John Campbell, and these lecturers were so cool to talk to. And it just kind of reinforced it. Okay, I'm like a creative, you know, I'm a maker, you know. Mm. Um, but not, not technique or anything, just things like that kind of really took on board. Yeah. And yeah, you just, and some of the assignments, like you do stuff that you kind of wouldn't set yourself, like tasks that you wouldn't set yourself. There's no like magical answer. Like yeah. it's like just work. Yeah. Cool. You don't need to go to art school to do that. No. Yeah. And I'm just <laughs> always curious, you know, and yeah. different people have different answers yeah. every time I ask the question, you know. Yeah. But uh, the, the, what you were saying with the, um, you know, the community that you build, like a lot of that's yeah. come up a lot. It's, um, yeah. you know, everyone yeah. working with each other and it's not so much what you're learning in class as what you're learning through, you know, hanging out with other artists. And, yeah. You know. And I suppose it's the networking because it's, um, you know, the fine art world's a strange world um, in a lot of senses that doesn't let people who haven't maybe studied into it you know mm. like it's a clo- a little bit of a closed club but that's changed now because graffiti and urban art is such a major player there's this other canon of art mm. that's running parallel to fine art and intersecting with fine art and even yeah like functioning at better levels in, in a lot of ways you know mm. so it's yeah the game's kind of changed yeah it's funny you are uh... You say that because I was, um, you know, I showed you that that Leonard Joel thing that I, yeah. the pics that I did yesterday, yeah. and I had to scroll through their um, art sale. Yeah. And I was going through pages and pages, and it was all mm. this, um, I don't know, traditional art you yeah. call it, and um, and I was just scrolling through it, and just none of it was grabbing me. Yeah. And then I got to this more, um, like bolder art that from the the eighties and yeah. and through till through to today. And it really jumped out at the page, and it was like, "Yes, this is the art mm. that's really speaking to me." And it's mm. um, and it's funny. It, it just that moment, I thought, "Oh well, all this art that is considered to be like great art from history, it's like, mm. yeah, that's cool, but it doesn't mean that I have to. It has to be the art that I'm into." And I realized totally. that you know, there's so much um, uh, there's just so many different styles in this day mm. and age, and um, and I absolutely love it. You know, whereas if you think of like think about if you went to art school in say the 1920s mm. it would be like this is how you paint a portrait this exactly. is how you paint a landscape and that's that and there's no arguing yeah and the subject know. matter was so limited yeah and the medium everyone's like all paint or acrylic or everyone's acrylic mm. and pencil like it's really narrow you know yeah well totally. i know back in the day they wouldn't even um give acrylic a any time of day yeah. because it was only it was invented in the 50s okay and yeah, um yeah, there you go. and it's like it's not it's non-traditional yeah um so even now like even in this day and age I, it's you you know people call it like um you know synthetic polymer and things yeah. like that so that just to say not say acrylic you know yeah it's like spray paint like acrylic yeah. lacquer yeah yeah medium like yeah acrylic, yeah. acrylic lacquer but it's just like um yeah, people don't want to admit that they're using acrylics. It's all because of the establishment, because the yeah. establishment turns their nose up and goes, no, it has to be done in oils because that's traditional. Yeah, you Belgian know? linen and... Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but now that the yeah, as I was saying before, the game's changing, isn't it? Like it is. Now the street it art is. canon has so much. Yeah. Like, well, so much weight, so much success, so much resonance with young people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It is. Just it's um, good though. Yeah, like I see, um, you like using acrylic, like you just like you know from like peeling the, the excess paint out of a roller tray or whatever it's like you were painting with plastic yeah. you know like you're spreading a thick layer of plastic yeah. on and if you get stuff with really strong pigment like it's it's not going anywhere yeah in my eyes anyway yeah. i'm no i'm no expert that uh keith harring used to talk about that though he's like because his era like the nuclear like the nuclear war was like a massive issue and mm. he, you know he did a lot of work with like atomic with the, the mushroom cloud and stuff he talked about that he goes like, why do i need to make work that's going to be archival you know mm. for 500 years when the world is like we live in crazy times you know? yeah so i like that yeah like banners vinyl banners yeah. acrylic paint the kind of mediums we like you know mm. like things that are outside of like hardware like paints or shoe paints or from mm. you know the stationery like liquid yeah. paper pens yeah yeah yes like i i had to um i used some um like enamel paint the other day to do some detailing on a painting and um, and I tried I, like I knew I I knew I was gonna say goodbye to the brush, so I didn't even bother trying to clean that. But I had it all over my hands. I had to use turps to get it off, and yeah. I was just like using it, going, "Man, if I used oil paints, I'd have to deal with this stuff every day." Yeah, and it's just man, it's just poison on yeah. the label. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm not saying anything about people who use oils because like, hey, if that's what you want to use, that's what you want. What you, you know, that's fine. But um, me personally, I don't want to be like having a like put poison on my hands and stuff like that just yeah. to clean up and, and yeah. just be breathing it in all day yeah it's yeah. incredibly noxious yeah <laughs> I did a, yeah that was a yeah a part of when I got busted like a funny story um, and then I had whatever a few thousand dollars to pay off to the to the government but I went to court and asked whether I could have that transferred to like um, community service and then I said I like art I like painting and then they got me a job at Heidi with like this artist oh wow cool yeah I can't remember her name but yeah like in 89 so so cool I was building this sculpture on the lawn this stone maze with this cool fine artist mm. it's bad I can't remember her name but it's like whatever 30 years ago but she was telling me then she's like Ross because I said you know I told her I was a graffiti she goes just as someone older be so careful of the like the toxicity you know yeah like she left her kind of painting practice because it was so toxic and she got really sick you know with oil paints and stuff yeah so she was like telling me yeah. like 30 years ago but hey i don't know why they took that I, yeah. Man, that's pretty good that's pretty good community service sick i worked was, in a recycling plant it yeah. was horrible so i know i was like this is cool man catching the bus you know yeah yeah that's what i mean life was pretty good even when you were you know kind of in trouble it was still cool yeah <laughs> lucky you man yeah so with your art um you know i see a uh like a tribal element to it like where where did you, uh, your inspiration come from and where did the um, style development come from to get you to where you're at now with your artwork yeah I suppose it's definitely not from downtown Hartwell where I grew up no. I didn't discover any petroglyphs or anything crazy yeah. in the drains no it was really Pete um, Punch who's like a huge influence in my life like he was travelling all around the world really but he contacted me from LA in like 94 and he's like, sell your car, um, sell everything, meet me in Guatemala. And then he rang back a week later and I said, cool, I'll quit my job, I'm just, I'm selling my car, I'm coming. 
So that, yeah, so I um, flew to Guatemala, just so kind of um, ignorant, like I was, you know, like a suburban, you know, my parents didn't really travel, family weren't cultured in that kind of way. I 100% wasn't, like just grown up with like Western, you know, like skateboarding and things. So I rocked, you know, flew to Guatemala airport, didn't even register that they spoke another language, you know, just like, oh, I'm just gonna meet Pete. And then, yeah, went to this little town called Antigua. And then, yes, just started hanging out in Guatemala. And that was just such a, like, radical experience for someone like me who'd never immersed myself in another culture. Um, like, going to the markets, like, looking at the textiles. Um, you know, I headed to Costa Rica, went to, the, like, the museums and stuff. Went, I, I did know, I had bought these things like a year or so before I went, like um, the Kuna Indian, the native people um, who live in the islands, the, the, like the San Blas Islands, which we were chatting about before. Um, so I bought, you know, I wanted to see how they made these things. I wanted to spend time, I spent like a week on the islands in my tent. Like you weren't supposed to camp, but I kind of snuck a tent on and asked the chief. He's like, where are you staying? And I said, in my tent. He's like, okay, cool. So I had my little hiking tent. Um, so I bought those. They're like these geometric um, textile pieces that are made from like multiple layers of textile and they cut out the design. But it's like uber um, kind of graphic and um, geometric. So it's kind of like part, it's, it's indigenous of course, but it is like kind of contemporary art for me as well. So like those spirit, yeah, that just changed my my consciousness really like it sowed a seed and i've been like researching and like collecting books and reading about central american ceramics and cosmology and you know from from central america like down to south america like you know graham hancock following his work like anthropologists like jeremy narby i just sowed a seed and then that is a maybe a funny mix but you know that kind of like the graffiti and like the uber kind of western thing and then this indigenous thing you know and then they just kind of meander along together and like come out in my work but yeah it's like my work's like super laden some of it more so than others but with like that influence you know mm. um, so how long were you in Guatemala for? I was there for like six weeks a month and then another two weeks I was there for like four months cool. just cruising through yeah did you fl um, did you spend any time in Guatemala City? that place is dangerous man ah uh, yeah yeah. I, I flew in actually like from Costa Rica coming back to meet Pete after mm -hmm. going to Costa Rica and Panama flew into Guatemala City went to like a hostel and then there's like no beds and then someone in the hostel is like two German guys got killed out the front last night yeah and I was like I'm, I'll sleep on the floor you know yeah yeah it's hectic I, I only spent a few hours in Guatemala City but I, was, I went straight to Antigua where you were, ah. were. but um but yeah everyone like been to a lot of dangerous places on yeah. the way up and and yeah just like if people everyone was just warning us about Guatemala uh, City and those notorious red buses which are like their public buses yeah like whatever you do don't do not get on a red, red bus you will get mugged straight away huh. it's like shit but I, I don't know I spent a lot of time in Guatemala and um didn't have any problems yeah yeah but, same. Uh, like but just didn't just didn't spend much time in Guatemala City itself yeah. but went to Antigua and um, Lake Adelan and yeah um, shit, what's that place up up north where you can go to Cal it was where you can go to Tikal, but there's a little um, town up there as well but um but even when we we're in um, 
Lake Adelaide, everything was so chill and so nice. But yet, you know, you walk around and you see like old ladies like just walking down the street with a machete in their hand. Yeah. And you know it's more of like a farming vibe thing, but it's still yeah. like, shit, she's got, she hasn't got a handbag, she's got a machete, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, classic. And then, uh, yeah, we were, we were, everything was really chill. We were teaching in the local primary school and everything. And then um, the vibe started to change and then, uh, you know, two dead bodies showed up in the in the lake and really? all that. Like and, tourists? Nah, they weren't tourists, they were locals, but it's just like, yeah. yeah let's get on, yeah, let's, let's keep moving. Let's, let's just keep moving. Yeah. You know. but, yeah, it's um, a funny edge, isn't it? Like that kind of like some of the loveliest people. Like I remember that too, like the the um, Guatemala, like the indigenous Guatemalans, they would look, they'd be so polite and look at you so nicely. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They were such like gentle people, but then had that edge oh, yeah. as well. We, I'd hear of like hectic stories. Yeah. All, I found that all over Latin America. It's like family and there's so much love for everyone and yeah. all the families are so tight and, and all that, Yet, but yet at the same time, life's cheap. Yeah. It's um, yeah. it's a real contrast there. You yeah. Know, yeah, that, it's uh, supposed to be in Korea, like Honduras and stuff now. It's like the murder capital of the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, okay. I didn't like Honduras. I'd be scared too. Yeah. I didn't go to Honduras. That was, that was scarier than Guatemala yeah? City, to be honest. So that's next level. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah. I don't know. There's, it's still so, like yeah. We're just talking about the bad parts, you know. There's so much beauty there as well. Yeah, that's. I don't want to end on that note. So yeah. Um, I but, love the the culture is so inspiring, and even like Mexico. I went to Mexico City. Like mm-hmm. I left Pete, and I was at Lake Atitlan too at mm-hmm. San Pedro. Yeah. Caught the boat across to Panajachel. Caught the bus up to the border. Across the, I went through like a, the uprising in 1994, the Zapatista, which was the. Um, indigenous Mexicans who were protesting against the government so that was fascinating you know like mm. getting put off the bus with machine guns and military checkpoints with like little canisters and army tanks in the dark and like for 30 hours just where they were looking for the Zapatista but yeah Mexico City kind of like the anthropological museum I was in heaven I swear it was like kind of ecstasy I was just it was the coolest stuff you know like mm. that huge Aztec sundial that's kind of famous in tourist stuff but like seeing that and then all the figurines and the ceramics and there's just such a buzz did you like, go to those pyramids just outside of mexico city yeah Teotihuacan. yeah man, yeah that's awesome man. yeah 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 that too like those two kind of you know yeah this is so yeah you kind of want to share that with your friends you're kind of like this stuff is so cool i i wish i was with other people because it's you know yeah it's like such a from what we grew up with here it's like totally alien mm. and you're like man I wish how do I share this mm. so I suppose I kind of without thinking about up until that just now chatting with you maybe I kind of do that in my work because I thought just thought it was so incredible you know mm. I didn't know yeah so you mentioned before that you went to the San Blas Islands as well yeah. like um, like what were your interactions with the um, indigenous tribes there because when I went through there yeah. they um, they were just wearing the most magnificent clothing and yeah um, yeah, just this is crazy. Like it was, no, it was otherworldly. There yeah. was just no, um, this Western world just didn't exist there. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being there, and like physically, it was like the furthest from Australia, but it also felt like you said, like otherworldly. Like it was the furthest I felt, like in this, like these islands are like two centimeters above sea level. Mm-hmm. Felt like that. Like they're just sitting just, and time, like the day, felt like forever. It was like the water's crystal clear. And the, yeah, the women wear those beautiful, like the molars and like their typical clothing. They've got tattooed noses, gold jewelry. Yes, it's extraordinary. I drew with the kids a lot, which was cool. 
Mm. It had this like thatched hut, like just a thatched kind of roof. And I just had my sketch pad. So the kids, it was cute. They would wait outside my tent in the morning. We're like, come on, let's draw. And then we d- draw, and then you know, walk around the island, and it was yeah, those those experiences are incredible. Mm, totally. Yeah, yeah. I didn't spend much time there. I, I caught a boat through there. Um, On your way south. Nah, well, we we got um, held hostage in the jungle in Colombia. Yeah. And then that's... actually, no, we smuggled our way into Panama, and that's where we got held hostage. But then, um, like four days later, we'd um, spoken to the. Uh, we found someone to we bribed someone anyway with money to get us out of the situation, and then they took us on their boat through uh, through the San Blas Islands and huh. we stopped with and had lunch with an indigenous tribe huh. on the islands and then um and then just kept taking us all the way to Panama City until yeah. we got got to a um it's like took six hours to get to a town with a road yeah and then we got in a car and drove four hours to Panama yeah. City they just they hardly said a word to us the whole time. And then um, took us to an ATM. We withdrew cash, gave it to them, and then they just walked off and disappeared into the night. Was that the so, people helping you or, like, not helping you? You had to pay yeah. them off? Well, it was just, this was just a guy with a boat who got, got us out of there, but he, he, was, he was just doing it for the cash. Yeah. 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 I haven't experienced anything like that. That's, yeah, that's yeah. intense, man. Yeah. It was, it was only, like, to be honest, the first day was intense. Yeah. But after that, it was like, well, the pointed so many guns at us and stuff and they're obviously yeah. not going to kill us so um now i just got to work out how to get out of here <laughs> yeah. so yeah. what what was their plan to potentially hostage you it's like make, to make go money yeah make cash yeah yeah it's like smiley and pirates man, like, it just like our, our town that we were staying in got held like got taken hostage um by the paramilitary group the farc yeah. Yeah, and the leader of the FARC was murdered the day before, like right okay, near where okay. we were staying. So making... And this was on the border of Colombia and Panama. Yeah, we, we shouldn't have been there anyway, but we were just workers. We were broken, trying to find the cheapest way to get through. Yeah, so we're town hopping with little boats. But um, then the, one of the locals who we knew in this town just said, like it was six in the morning, and he was like, "You guys are gonna get the fuck out of here because um, you're gonna like this is a real bad situation." Yeah. and we were like the only westerners and stuff and we fled we, we ran up through the jungle with our with our backpacks and Gosh. um and smuggled our way into panama but then when we were in the jungle like yeah. we came across a group of guys who were just like in full camo but they had machine guns and stuff and so they took you hostage they took us Gosh. they were just like that's like out of the frying pan with, yeah like, you know, just, into the... and it's just like look at these guys like a couple of whiteies <laughs> in the jungle Gosh. with no one else you know <laughs> And then yeah, they just, they held us in, took us to the village, and yeah. You know, but 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 they just said, look, there's nowhere to go. Like they yeah. weren't like they weren't aggressive at all. Yeah. But they just said, look, if you run through the jungle, there's way worse people than us in there. And then there was um, and then there was the Caribbean coast, and it was yeah. like, well, how far are you gonna yeah. swim? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so we just had to stay put. It wasn't like we were aggressively held, but we had to find somewhere to sleep and yeah, all that type of stuff. There was just nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That kind of ups graph stories, doesn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You think you do some crazy stuff in Melbourne until you <laughs> end up in the Darien Gap. I think that trumps. Yeah. 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 It was, I don't know. It was, a, it was, um, I feel it really prepared me for other things, though, in life. When shit gets bad, yeah. it's like you go, man, it's not as bad as then. Totally. You know? Yeah, totally. Like, even with COVID, it's like, 
when all that happened, it's like, hey, the whole world's going through this. We'll be yeah. all right. You yeah. know, it's yeah. um. whereas if it was just like in one industry, say it was only artists who were affected or something like that, it's yeah. a different story, you know. Yeah, it's like brain strength training, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, resistance yeah. training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. 100%. Yeah. So, um... So when you got back to Melbourne, like, what were your early paintings looking like? Um, was it was it a bit of a uh, like a mixture between old versus new style, or was there a real shift in your art? No, like a radical shift. Mm. Um, I suppose I was collaging. I was even like collaging figurines, like pre-Columbian figurines, and kind of drawing over them. Um, I suppose the work was kind of more figurative but with yeah like that kind of indigenous bent and then i just reference thing but do it with the contemporary kind of you know like i'd see the carvings of like canoes with all these different gods so then i'd airbrush and use acrylic paint and paint these kind of canoes with my own kind of figures you know mm -hmm. like we were saying before like put your stamp on it um yeah so a mixture of like directly kind of referencing it and then just taking ideas but even like in 1998 I started like drawing over say like collage faces or something but that was like inspired by like looking at like in the in um like tier two Wakan masks and they had like these incised or like um recessed patterns in the faces like geometric patterns which was not kind of dissimilar to like patterns in the temples at the pyramids and not dissimilar to like the mop you know, the the kuna patterns like so I started doing these kind of you know like a not a throw up but like kind of graffiti doodles designs like over images like kind of yeah kind of like tribalizing them in a sense or creating this kind of another layer like kind of unconsciously and that really like has played out for the last 20 years in my paintings you know mm. even to now a lot of it Thomas like I remember like a teacher at VCA said I would, sometimes I'd be like I don't know what I'm doing you know I got into the school she's like if you get into the school what would you do and I said I have no idea you know but I didn't have like an intellectual spiel you know um, and she was nodded like that was a great answer you know someone saying they didn't know what they were doing and then even when I was in VCA I'd be like I don't know what I'm doing and she, but she would kind of be like nod and say you do know what you're doing she said sometimes it's like the horse is leading the cart or is the cart leading the horse that I still think about that you know like 15 years later it's kind of like you know you make the work we had this discussion like during the week too and then you're kind of like trying to unpack it like you're making the work that's like visual language you know like people do this with a master's and PhD it's like practice-led research you know it's like thinking through making not thinking through thinking mm. yeah so you make the work and then you kind of at the same time in when you're not making the work or maybe during it, you kind of unpack and think, what are, what, what are my influences? What are these kind of motifs that come through? Where do they come from? When did they start? So it's like ebb and flow. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because totally. I find that you once you start to get a better understanding of that, then you can be a bit more conceptual with the paintings. Yeah. You can do some thinking before you paint. Yeah. You know, but you have to be have an understanding on what it is that you're actually painting yeah otherwise you just jump all over the shop and you're making mm. no sense and yeah but that takes time doesn't it like it that does. kind of art fitness to to understand what you're doing because mm. you do question yourself but like now i can see looking back to the kuna thing and then graffiti and then how those patterns and then 
even I suppose the resonance you know I was in Dubai last year like paying a mural for a friend and then I went to the Louvre in Abu Dhabi and it was like Andre Breton who's like one of the founders of surrealism um, had a mask from Tiara Khan and that was like his prized possession because he and I was like hell yeah like I've been mystified by these things for 30 years you know since I saw them in the Anthropological Museum I was like I'm not it was so cool for me because I'm like oh I'm not alone these are just what other painters and creatives you know you just kind of resonate to things and it said in the blurb he just loved it because of the energy you know um I don't know so that's like the back engineering you know like 20 30 years later you go to Dubai Andre Breton you see this thing and you're like it's just you back engineer your own little kind of narrative and connect those dots and I don't know and then you kind of go forward again you know yeah I'm doing that right now that's what a lot of COVID's been been like for me yeah just working out what the hell I'm doing you know yeah so you can just show up and paint 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 but um gets to a point where you've done so many paintings it's like you have to understand what you're actually doing yeah and what that what it is that you're painting yeah you know but it's uh easier said than done yeah it's um because there's no kind of who teaches you how to do that like we're having the conversation now and we had it like during the week as well it's you know it's a it's a separate thing from art making you know yeah and they don't kind of you just kind of pick it up along the way don't you yeah you can kind of try and do it yourself totally so with um with your digital collages yeah like how, how did they come about well yeah again like i had a project at vca like 2005 um and i made these like just kind of low low brow lo-fi um i was going to make a little book so they were like half of a a four width black and white paper black and white collage images liquid paper pen acrylic spray a few spray paint splatters for like you know that the aesthetic like you know doing kind of using the materials that you used to then i made a little book but they were like linear um little panels but inspired by you know mexico like going to the anthropological museum and like the codices like the mayan um, books bark so i've got my kind of version and then I got a laptop in like 2000 or later in 2005. And then I started kind of collating my images and going through my old images and then collecting new images at night off the internet and kind of like, well, I don't know, people were like post internet art or it was like, like smack bang in the middle of internet art. Just like, yeah, I don't know, like a meditation slash drug. I just listened to music and just start downloading heaps of images and started doing like digital versions. And then I, yeah made the the last the first series i made for the grad show was like your nine worlds and my underworld so it was like 10 of those they were like light jet prints behind perspex like face mounted so they kind of hung floated off the wall a bit like kind of digi panels and i because i'd spent so much time in the screen i was like oh this is cool they they mimic the screen it's like kind of a good marriage between the screen and an end product so that's how it started mm. and they were so that yeah from like from paper to digi but now they've kind of come like full circle which is an, a, a cool lesson for me because in the early days i had really had my head set on this like digi um, photographic you know slick aesthetic and now i've been printing them on paper so they've gone back full circle to paper and then i've had one done you know three meters by two meters on carpet so it's kind of taking on like a textile um like form so I don't know like never never think 
you think you know what you think you have it sorted out at a certain point but be open you know yeah like things change totally all right russ are you uh ready for some rapid fire questions yeah what do, what do i win nothing a gerard oh maybe if you <laughs> play your cards right so uh name one artist you think deserves more shine yeah. um duet yeah yeah doesn't get enough shine eh? hell no <laughs> Uh, what's one medium you'd love to work with? Uh, something sculptural, like 3D, like metal, like collaborate with like metal fabricators or something. Or yeah. 3D printing even. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's getting to that. We're entering that age. Yeah. We do a lot more of that stuff. Press, press print, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's one skill you wish you had? Um, well, I'm a painter, but like I wish I was a... It's funny, I wish I was like a better traditional painter. Yeah. You know? Like, well, for a long time I thought I wish I was like a crazy oil painter. Mm. But yeah, so I'll say oil, but like a really good oil painter. It's funny you say that because I've been studying a lot of um, art online. Yeah. As a lot of it comes from traditional painters, yeah. like the study stuff, and they're really hammering home these these things. But then mm. I'm looking at their artwork, it's like, I don't want to paint like that mm. anyway, but I want to learn the, yeah. the fundamentals of it all. Yeah. Um, who are some of your favorite artists? Basquet, Haring, like then indigenous artists who unfortunately don't know their names, you know, like they're just like anthropo anthropological objects, yeah. which is so a mixture of um, people like that. And then my friends like Pete, um, Ash Keating, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Younger self. Uh, be a little bit more organized off the bat. Um, don't party it, you know, just work. Like, I think work ethic and just staying on point is the best. Like, if you do that from a young age, you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your body of work is going to be, like, infinitely bigger, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. And um, do you keep regular work hours? I bounce between, like I do like painting, like regular, just nine to five or whatever, or seven till, you know, three or five. I do like painting during the day, particularly if you've got good lighting, like um, I had a huge studio in Geelong with incredible lighting. So day, that really kind of introduced me to painting during the day. But if I have to get something done or work any, like I was finishing a painting recently for the Blake Prize, I entered in the Blake Prize and I started at nine in the morning and I, had a nap in the arbor and I painted till like 4 a.m. the next morning, like solid, whatever that is, 16 hours or something. Wow. So, how'd you go? On a bird. Yeah, I finished the bird. It was like a peregrine falcon. I was like really happy with it. Even yeah. though I'd painted every day for like 21 days straight, like and some long hours, and I was so tired. But yeah. I don't like working like that. I just like to pace it, you know. Yeah, totally. Uh, do you have a dream project you'd love to work on? Yeah, definitely like my, my digital collages that I've been working on and off for like, what, you know, started them in 2007. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I want to realise that before I depart the planet. Like I'd love to have like a huge show in a dark gallery, you know. There's like, there's 55 like linear worlds at 21 centimetres high or and that's like about 90 metres long. And if I exhibit them, like if I print them bigger, it's like about 100 and whatever, 180 meters of mm -hmm. like digital collages, but I really want to 
we share that project yeah yeah that'd look impressive in the right space wouldn't they yeah oh yeah yeah good work um where are you wanting to take your art career i suppose i just want to get a little bit more savvy on the the business side you know um so it's definitely like creatively like creatively i'm happy with the the kind of you know the trajectory of where my work's going but it's definitely just to make it like more sustainable to diversify that in 2021 mm -hmm. you know bounce between smaller works and like bigger projects but yeah definitely just to make it more sustainable yeah do you have any um future plans or projects in the pipeline i've got a super exciting uh public artwork in melbourne that's mm -hmm. gonna that i it's gonna be opened on, in february Oh. in 2021 so that's i'll just say that that i worked about six months on so i'm like yeah i'm dying for that to to uh exist and you know um for let uh, for people to see that yeah so that's the the biggest thing coming up cool yeah and where's the uh best place for people to see your art online i suppose instagram so it's russ kitchen r-u-s-k-i-t-c-h-i-n yeah that's okay. the best place at the moment Cool. and then with this public artwork next year um but yeah i'm gonna fly solo probably for 2021 like i'm not i don't have any shows planned so insta's the best pull yeah cool all right russ it's been uh great to sit down with you and uh find out more about your career and life yeah thanks tom that just went like i don't know felt like we traveled you know yeah it was you. fantastic <laughs> yeah cheers man all right thanks, thanks a lot thanks for having me no worries my pleasure take care